Good morning. Today I'll be reading from Mark chapter 12, verses 1 to 12. The parable of the tenants. And he began speaking to them in parables. A man planted a vineyard and put a fence around it and dug a pit for the wine press and built a tower and he leased it to tenants and went into another country. When the season came, he sent the servants to the tenants to ask them for some fruit from the vineyard. And they took him and they beat him and they sent him away empty-handed. Again, he sent to them another servant and they struck him on the head and treated him shamefully. And he sent another and him they killed. And so with many others, some they beat and some they killed. He had still one other, a beloved son. Finally, he sent him to them, saying, They will respect my son. But those tenants said to one another, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him, and the inheritance will be ours. And they took him and killed him and threw him out of the vineyard. What will the owner do of the vineyard do? He will come and destroy the tenants and give the vineyard to others. Have you not read this scripture? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. And they were seeking to arrest him, but they feared the people, for they perceived that he had told the parable against them. So they left him and went away. Good morning, everyone. Wonderful to see you all here. Today is, as we've been celebrating our one-year anniversary of being here at HWC, Special welcome to everyone here, uh, whether this is your first day or whether you've been with us uh, since before we started, fantastic to have you with us. Uh, we've had new people join and get plugged in. We've had baptisms, memberships, conversions, answered prayers, healings, lots of new ministries begin and then thrive. We've seen growth in maturity and in number and most wonderful of all, God has been glorified. So thanks be to God. I want to take this opportunity to thank everyone who is a part of our family here at HWC for your service, for your perseverance, and mostly for your love. God is love, and His love flows into our relationships with one another. And this is a wonderful witness to the Lord Jesus and the fact that we are His disciples, that we belong to Him. Um, people have often commented on the family feel and welcome they've received at HWC. And this is all because of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is the head of our church. He's the head of the church. Each of us are members of his body. God's given us each gifts and he's put us in this family, his family, and where we can each use those gifts, building one another up, glorifying him. So thanks be to God for his love, for his mercy, for his grace. And thank you each to each of you for shining the light of Christ here at HWC and also beyond. It's been an amazing year. It's been a wild, crazy year, but it's been an amazing year. Um, and I want to ask you uh, jo to join me in praying for HWC to always remain faithful to God, to shine Jesus' light and to share Jesus' love. Let's live for him who died for us. 
it's it's truly been a wonderful, wonderful time as we reflect on what Jesus has done for us. I, I'm excited to see where God will take us into the future, and I trust that you are too. Uh, maybe you've just arrived here for the first time this morning, uh, or aren't yet plugged in, or maybe you're weighing up making your home here at HWC, and I want to welcome you as well. And I want to ask you to join us. Obviously, if you're already plugged into your home church, that's totally cool. I'm, I'm more meaning people who are looking for a church. Um, this first year has been amazing. Um, talk to anyone after the service and hear about the things that God's been doing. Brothers, sisters, friends, God is at work now. And there's a reason he's brought each of, each of us here. Uh, please do hang around for the lunch after the service as we celebrate and thank God for the fellowship that we have together and with him. Will you join me in prayer now? Father in heaven, we praise you, we glorify you, we worship you. You, Lord God, three in one, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, you rule this earth that you've made. You reign supreme over everything. You are in control of everything. We thank you. We thank you so much, Father, that you sent your only Son, that Jesus, you came to die for us, and that Holy Spirit, you have come to live in our hearts. Thank you, Lord. Thank you that we have the amazing, immense privilege of being in your family. Thank you that we have the amazing privilege of being with one another, fellowshipping with one another. And even more than that, of fellowshipping with you, Lord. Fill our hearts with a desire to know you more. Grow us in our love for you and fill us with your spirit that we may glorify the name of Jesus each and every day. In, in our lives, wherever we may find ourselves. And it's in his precious name we pray. Amen. Last Sunday, we saw Jesus clear out the temple and the connected cursing of the fig tree. And today we read that Jesus began to speak to the people in parables. Now, parables are earthly stories with heavenly meanings, stories about the kingdom. Uh, today, Jesus tells such a story that's often called the parable of the tenants. Now, tenants are people who rent property from the owner or the landlord. Many of us are, are either tenants now or have been at some point in our lives. We as a church are tenants here. We rent this building. So put simply, tenants are renters. In today's parable, we hear about a vineyard, the owner, the servants, his son, and the tenants. But there's more to this story than just what's on the surface. There's a deeper meaning, a kingdom meaning. Jesus tells this story to teach us about God, about the people of Jesus' day, and also about us. Not every minute detail is meant to tell us something about the kingdom of God, but it's more the main principles that we need to look for and understand. At the end of the passage in verse 12 tells us that they, which is the religious elite, were looking to arrest Jesus. Why? because they'd perceived that he'd told the story against them. They were miffed that they were the bad guys in Jesus' story. And they didn't want to sit on their hands and wallow. No, they wanted to take Jesus down. So we know that in some ways Jesus' story is going to expose the religious elite. That gives us an idea of where he's headed with the story, um, what it tells us about the people back then. But as we've already noted, this story does more than just tell us about the people back then. It teaches us about God and it also teaches us about us for today. So first off, I will retell the story for you, then we'll look at the deeper meaning, and finally we'll see what response Jesus calls us to. So we'll retell it, 
the deeper meaning, and then the response. So retelling it. We're first introduced to a man, and we aren't told uh, much about him or what he's like in the beginning, but we are told a number of things that he did. Uh, and by looking at what he did, we get an idea of what he's like. The man planted a vineyard. So this man has green fingers. He's a gardener who does the work of planting. Anyone like gardening here? I know we've got a few yet. Very good. Um, this man is a gardener. But not only does he plant the vineyard, he puts a fence around it to keep it safe. He dug a, a pit for the wine press. So we see the intent for there to be the fruitful growing of, of vines and grapes on those vines. That's where we get the word grapevine. <laughs> and the production of wine. He built a tower, also presumably, so that the vineyard could be watched over and kept safe from any threats that came its way. He thought of everything, and he set it up perfectly. So he's a kind, caring vineyard owner who's created an environment where fruit could be produced and produced plentifully. This man then leased his vineyard to tenants. He let people in there who would be there temporarily, not permanently, as renters. And he made an agreement with them to occupy the vineyard and for them to give back to him. Uh, we aren't told the exact details of the lease, but it's reasonable to expect, especially in that culture and at that time, and based on what happens in the story, that they would be required to produce fruit and then give of that fruit to the, the owner in, order, in return for staying there. So pretty simple so far. You have the owner of the vineyard who set it up all perfectly and he's leased it to some renters who will pay the rent in fruit and who will stay there for a temporary time. Some time passes and the season comes and it gets to the time for the fruit to be gathered. Uh, in order to gather the fruit, the owner sent his servant to collect some from the renters that had been produced in the vineyard. Uh, it's a reasonable request. Uh, so it should be pretty simple, really. Uh, give some of the fruit to the servant to give back to the owner and make it a positive landlord-renter relationship. But instead of doing that, they beat the servant uh, who had come to collect it and they sent him away empty-handed. Now, imagine if the rent inspection came round um, and so they sent the property manager over um, and you, instead of just showing them the house in order, beat them and took away their clipboard and sent them away. That's pretty much what happened here. <laughs> Instead of giving what they owed, they resorted to violence. Uh, maybe they didn't have any of the fruit to give, or maybe they just had spoiled fruit. For whatever their reason, we're told that they kept on treating the owner's servants with utter disdain. It wasn't just the first one he sent, not that that would make it okay, but the next and the next and the next, beating, scorning, striking, demeaning, and even killing them. Some they beat, some they killed. And this kind of flagrant disregard for the owner and his servants carried on and on and on. They rejected the servants, but in rejecting the servants, they were really rejecting the owner himself. In rejecting the servants, they really rejected the owner of the vineyard. The owner finally sends one more to them, not a servant this time, but a son, his own son. And he does it saying, they will respect my son. But the wicked renters said to one another, this is the heir. Let's kill him and take his inheritance for ourselves. 
We can keep the vineyard. All we've got to do is kill the heir like we killed the servants. They took him and killed him and threw him out of the vineyard. They treated him shamefully like they did to the servants before him. Even the owner's own son they did not respect. Instead, they murdered him in cold blood and then didn't bury him, but threw him outside the vineyard, which was his to inherit. So again, to sum up so far, the owner has a vineyard, which he's set up all nicely. He's hired it out to renters who are supposed to give of the fruit produced. They didn't give any of the fruit produced to the servants, instead beat and killed them. And then the owner sent his son and they killed him too. So what does the owner do? Does he just turn a blind eye and forget about it? No, not at all. It says he will come and destroy the tenants. He will kill them. And what of the inheritance? What happens to the vineyard that they thought they'd taken for themselves? He gives it to others. Not rents it to others, gives it to others. To have, to keep. The original tenants have no place in the owner's vineyard. The owner destroys them and they will not inherit the vineyard. They are merely temporary residents. Unlike the others, we're not told too much about them other than that they're the others, who are given the vineyard. The original tenants don't belong in the vineyard and nor does the vineyard belong to them. They don't belong in the vineyard and the vineyard does not belong to them. Jesus then concludes by quoting Psalm 117. Have you not read this scripture? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. And that means something like the brick that has been thrown out, was in the skip bin, has become the central brick in the whole building. The Jenga piece that was thrown out for looking a bit weird is now the piece holding everything together. The whole tower is dependent upon it. And this brings glory to God and ought to astound humanity. How? How does does all of these things work? Well, we're going to move on to thinking about the deeper meaning now. Has anyone read a play or maybe watched a play or heard a play? Yeah, cool. A few people, nice. Any Shakespeare fans in the house? Yeah, nice. Uh, Pete and I met a guy called Romeo on Wednesday, (laughs) which is pretty cool. Hopefully, Romeo will come here in the next couple of weeks. Um, if, uh, if you've read a play or a few, then maybe you remember at the beginning of, of the, the, the book, you have a list. Um, and now, depending on the origin of the play, this might be a shorter or list or it might be long enough to be its own book. <laughs> but on these lists, you have all of the characters in the story and usually a little description of, of who they are. We're going to do that now for the parable that we've just heard so that we get to know whom the characters in Jesus' story correspond with, who they represent. Maybe you've already got some ideas, but this is my understanding. The owner of the vineyard, God the Father. The tenants or the renters, the Jewish religious elite. That's the people like the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, the self-righteous religious snobs of the day. Uh, These are the people that Jesus told the parable against who were only temporarily in the kingdom. The servants, the prophets, uh, God's servants, people sent by God to speak God's words to God's people. Beloved son of the owner, Jesus Christ. The same title for the owner's son is the same title that was used for Jesus way back at the beginning of Mark uh, after his baptism. This is my beloved son. It's the same words. 
and the others, the people the inheritance is given to, the vineyard's permanent residents, all those who are united to Jesus Christ and co-heirs with him. So with those things in mind, we'll move on to consider what uh, the things or events were that happened in the parable. We start with the vineyard. The vineyard, I think, represents God's kingdom, God's dominion. And the actions we see at the beginning of the owner planting it, fencing it, digging a pit for the winepress, building a tower, all point to God purposefully putting things together in his kingdom to keep it safe, to give it everything it needed to produce fruit, to set it up perfectly. Leasing the vineyard to tenants. God placed the people of Israel especially the religious elite, over his kingdom and under him. Uh, Like the renters of the vineyard uh, were supposed to produce fruit and give that fruit back to the owner, these people were to produce spiritual fruit that God provides, uh, the outworking of God's good gift of salvation. It's telling then that we never hear of any fruit produced by the renters, nor given to the servants. Either the fruit produced was spoiled or simply didn't exist, that they were completely unfruitful. The religious elite did not follow God's covenant and they did not bear fruit, highlighting the sad reality that not all Israel are Israel. That means not all of the people in and around God's people are truly God's people. They couldn't produce the fruit because they didn't have the root of salvation. The owner went into another country. Now, when we're told this, this isn't to say that God just went off somewhere and forgot about his kingdom or that he didn't know what was happening or kind of checked out and wasn't interested. No, it's more about where he rules his kingdom from. Uh, We know that he continued to be involved because he sent multiple servants to keep checking in. Uh, And he himself even comes at the end to enact justice. So clearly uh, the vineyard owner cares about his vineyard. God clearly cares about his kingdom. The reference to the owner going to another country shows us that God rules his kingdom from heaven, from somewhere else, which is where he sent his messengers and his son from. Uh, It also explains why the owner himself didn't show up at the beginning, but rather came later. God remains actively involved in his kingdom, like the owner with his vineyard, but he does this from heaven, Uh, which corresponds with the country the vineyard owner was in. And he sent his servants, sent them with words, he gave them words, and then ultimately he sent his son, the Lord Jesus, from heaven. Uh, The time came round for the fruit to be gathered, uh, and the owner sent his servant, uh, servant after servant, to collect some. But instead of, of giving the required fruit, as we mentioned, the renters beat, scorned, struck, demeaned, and even killed the servants. This is a parallel to the way the religious elite treated God's servants and his prophets uh, throughout the history of of Israel. There there are many dodgy figures in Israel's history uh, who murdered the prophets. There's some like what of an A to Z of killing God's people um, in the Old Testament. You've got Abel to Zechariah. Many prophets were rejected, spurned, oppressed, and even murdered for telling people what they needed to hear. Namely, that judgment was coming And they needed to turn back to God to find salvation in him. The owner decided to send his beloved son. Now this corresponds with God the Father sending his beloved son, Jesus Christ. The owner says, they will respect my son. 
Now, this isn't meant to make us think that God was caught off guard when the religious elite killed his son. Uh, We know from verse 10, where the red rejected stone becomes the cornerstone, that this was the plan all along. Uh, The owner saying they will respect my son rather shows the intensity of the evil of those who oppose Jesus. Not only did they kill the prophets, they rejected the ultimate prophet, the Messiah, the Son of God himself, Jesus Christ. And so they stand, so they who condemned the prophets stand condemned themselves. They who condemned Jesus Christ stand condemned themselves. Enemies of the air, beware. To reject the Son is to reject the owner himself. To reject Jesus Christ is to reject God and to find oneself under his judgment. Up to this point, Jesus has prophesied his death and resurrection three times. And here we have it once again with the stones. Not a surprise, but the definite plan of God. Jesus is like the stone that's thrown out, but who becomes the one upon whom all the other stones depend. Like we mentioned, if you threw the brick in, if the brick would have been thrown into the skip bin and then had been brought back and was placed in the corner where all of the other stones are dependent upon it. Uh, You take that one out, the whole thing comes crashing down. But how? How is Jesus like the stone that was thrown out and has become the cornerstone? His death and his resurrection. The religious elite will play a key part in the murdering of Jesus, God's beloved son, like they murdered the prophets before him. Uh, Their opposition to the prophets and to Jesus demonstrates that they aren't permanent residents of God's kingdom. They're merely renters with no entitlement to the inheritance, and they remain under God's judgment. God gives his kingdom to others. Uh, When when he he says in there, he he will come and destroy the tenants and give the vineyard to others. Not based on merit, uh, but based on grace. As a free gift, God gives his chosen people an inheritance, making them co-heirs with Jesus Christ. So in the midst of a story that shows there is condemnation for those who condemn Jesus, we see hope. Hope that like the owner of the vineyard who gives the inheritance to others, God the Father gives an inheritance in Jesus Christ to those who trust in Jesus and acknowledge him as king. We now come to the time where we we call for a response. We, We have before us a choice. And it has to do with our response to Jesus Christ, the heir. It has to do with whether we are going to be renters in God's kingdom or heirs. So the two options um, are that the first one, like I mentioned earlier, enemies of the heir beware. All who condemn Jesus will find themselves condemned. All who reject, them, all who reject Jesus will find themselves rejected. And then the alternative, trust in the heir be there. All who turn and trust in Jesus will find themselves forgiven because he was condemned in our place. All who receive Jesus will find ourselves received because he was rejected for us. Uh, we, we mentioned earlier about the, the cornerstone. Jesus was thrown out. He was, he was murdered on a cross, taking our place so that we can receive the gift of his righteousness. There's this amazing swap that happens there where he went to the cross where we deserve to be so that we can have eternal life 
where he deserves to be. And then he rose powerfully from the dead. Uh, he, was, he was murdered, but death can't even contain Jesus. He's that powerful. The Bible tells us that death is not strong enough to contain Jesus. Think about that. That's how powerful Jesus is. Death can't even stop him. If we reject Jesus, we will find ourselves as renters in God's kingdom. People who've been around church, who've experienced the blessings of being around God's people, but ultimately have no place in God's kingdom and will rather be judged for eternity. The vineyard does not belong to the tenants and the tenants do not belong in the vineyard. Likewise, the kingdom does not belong to those who reject Jesus. And those who reject Jesus do not belong in the kingdom. That tells us about both the inheritance doesn't belong to those who reject Jesus. And those who reject Jesus don't belong in his kingdom, the, the location, the, the place forever in heaven. And that's to say, for those who reject Jesus, there's no inheritance and judgment awaits. But on the flip side, if we receive Jesus we will find ourselves as permanent residents. More than that, as citizens. More than that, heirs, children of God in God's kingdom in heaven. And we'll not only experience the blessings, although there will be challenges in this life, of living for Jesus and being around God's people now, but we will experience those blessings and none of those challenges when we're face to face with Jesus for eternity. The vineyard belongs to the people who receive the sun, and the people who receive the sun belong in the vineyard. The kingdom, God's kingdom, belongs to the people who receive Jesus, and the people who receive Jesus belong in God's kingdom. Now, that is to say, for those who receive Jesus, there is a glorious inheritance that can never be taken away, and they're free from judgment because they will be in God's kingdom forever. And Jesus Christ has already paid the judgment in our place. So don't be like the religious elite. They thought they were all that. They thought they knew better. They thought they knew better than, than God's servants. They thought they knew better than Jesus. So they rejected Jesus and they found themselves rejected. Be like the others who had no status, no standing. They're literally described as the others in Jesus' story. And they receive the free gift God offers of Jesus Christ, of the inheritance of, and salvation in him, of being part of God's family, adopted into his family as sons and daughters, and then becoming heirs along with Christ. Uh, it doesn't make life easier now. Uh, it makes life harder now, uh, often. But it's worth it. We'll see the difference for all eternity where we join together and rejoice forever in Jesus Christ, our King. It's to look not just to the here and now, but to look to the forever. Uh, we will spend forever somewhere, either under God's judgment in hell, or rejoicing in the Lord Jesus face to face in heaven. Uh, and what we decide now, decides that reality for us. So we must come to terms with Jesus. Don't be like those people who were renters in God's kingdom, who, who were around for a bit of time, um, but find themselves in the long run outside of his kingdom. No, be permanent residents, be citizens more than permanent residents, be heirs, be children of God. And that's all possible in the Lord Jesus Christ. To do that, 
We come to him with open hands. We're not bringing anything to, to, to him to offer to him in order to make ourselves his heirs. No, an inheritance is a gift. It's something that can't be earned. It's something that is to be received. So if you haven't yet received that gift of the Lord Jesus, then I ask you to do it today. We, we don't know how long we've got, but we all can receive this free gift of the inheritance in Jesus Christ today. And all we, all we need to do is come to him and, and acknowledge our need to say, yeah, Lord, I'm, I'm a sinner. I'm a rebel against you. I need you. I trust you, Jesus. Have mercy on me. Give me the inheritance, Lord, that I may rejoice with you forever. You come to God like that, and then you receive the most amazing gift ever, inheritance in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so if, if, you, if you've done that, then praise God, what a wonderful thing to do. If you want to do that, uh, you can pray with me in a moment. I'll, I'll pray again. And then if you, if you want to talk to me more, please come and talk to me. I would love to talk with you more. This is a free gift Jesus is offering you. Don't reject him, receive him. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much that you are the good God who offers us uh, an inheritance that we do not deserve. Uh, Lord, we deserve judgment. Um, we confess that we are rebels against you. Have mercy on us, we pray. Forgive us. Help us to look to eternity, to look to forever, and know that even though life will be hard now, we have forever with you to look forward to. And help us to uh, look upon you, Lord Jesus, uh, with great joy and thanksgiving for all that you've done for us. Lord, as we, we gather for this one-year anniversary of High Wycombe Church, we're so grateful. There are so many things for us to be thankful for, Lord, for the answered prayers, for the healings, for the conversions, for the ministries, for, uh, yeah, for all of these wonderful things, for the people, Lord, for the support that each of us um, has received from one another. Um, ultimately, Lord, we want to thank you for you, Lord Jesus. We want to thank you for your amazing grace. We want to thank you for your kindness, your love, and your goodness. And we want to thank you that you welcome people like us who, who don't deserve the in inheritance. We in ourselves have nothing to recommend ourselves to you, but we can be adopted because of you, Lord Jesus, because you went to the cross for us and because you rose again. And so we put our trust in you and in you alone. And it's in your precious name we pray, Jesus. Amen.